please be seated. Yes. Good morning. I am here to prove that men can do more than two things at once. Bring it on. Special welcome to those in Darwin. We are so pleased that you're joining us and whoever else is on, on the live stream as well, we are so pleased you could be with us this morning. And um, we've been in this series, Jesus More Than You Know. And we've been looking through all the Gospels. And particularly we are in the Gospel of Luke. It's the last message from the Gospel of Luke. And it's been a fascinating series so far, being able to look at the different facets that we can see of Jesus as he was portrayed in the different Gospels and the slight bent that each one had as they portrayed him in the various Gospels. And it's been just such an incredible journey understanding this incredible person of Jesus. But Luke is a, is a fantastic uh, book. And, and it's a literary masterpiece in the way it is written. But we also know that it wasn't just one book that Luke wrote. He wrote two books. And in the first service, when I asked what was the second book that Luke wrote, it was only uh, Jim who was able to answer that because he's been to Bible college, he says. <laughs> if there was one thing he learned in Bible college, it was that. And so, <laughs> so the book of Acts was also the second part. And it was all considered one, one book at one stage, and then it was split. But what we are looking at this morning is, is, the, is the title is The Spirit Legacy. As we continue reading more about Jesus, one of the things that you will recognize, particularly in the book of Luke, is that Luke uses so many references to the Holy Spirit. There are almost 20 references in Luke and around 60 in Acts, referring to the Holy Spirit. And I want to concentrate this morning on what the influence of the Holy Spirit was in the ministry of Jesus, plus what was the ongoing effect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the early church and in our church right now. You know, when you think about the Holy Spirit and how He works, and, and you know, I, I try to think what, what would be a good analogy to that, and I thought of a couple. They're terrible, but I hope you will, you will indulge me. So I was on a, on a vacation a number of years ago and had to get on this bike. Now, I don't normally ride bikes. I like walking and running and stuff. I may not look like it, true, but, but I, I, I went on this bike, and, and we had to go over these hills. I was hard going. But one of the things I didn't realize, I realized, of course, is that it was an electric bike, and I hadn't turned on the power. So everyone else was sort of shooting past me, and I'm struggling to get up this hill until I think the guide who was there, he, he realized that I was struggling, and he said, look, you know that you just have to press this little button here, right? So I pressed the button, and lo and behold, my bike started, and I thought, my goodness, what an incredible invention this electric bike thing is, eh? Incredible. But that added power that I got, that I felt and sensed, that allowed me to achieve much more than I was able to without too much effort, was incredible. 
But I was also, when I was young, quite young, I, was, uh, I grew up in the nation of West Africa, like I like to talk about. And, and one of the times I remember distinctly was um, there was a period when there was a lot of kidnappings going on in, in that area where we lived. And, and the people that were blamed most for it were these wandering uh, cattlemen. And they said they were the ones who were sort of kidnapping kids and, and taking them away and stuff. And so it was one day at lunchtime in school, we, uh, some of us, three, four of us friends, we, we went to a, <laughs> to a part outside the school where there was this tree that had some fruit on it. And so we went to, they said, it's a great idea, this fruit tastes great, let's go and have it. And so we all went there and we are having this fruit. And as we're eating it, suddenly, from behind the tree, a little bit, uh, maybe about 20 meters away, this uh, wandering cattleman comes along with some goats. Now, as soon as they saw him, everyone panicked, absolutely panicked. And they said, so they called them boozoo. So he said, boozoo, boozoo. And everyone started running. And my goodness, I was paralyzed by fear. I honestly couldn't. I'm standing there looking at him with my eyes wide open. And this guy is looking at me wondering, why are these guys running away like crazy? And, and I'm standing there stuck wondering what to do. And before I know it, this hand grabs me from behind. And then the next thing I know, I'm running. My feet are barely touching the ground. But this really big friend of mine, who's much bigger than I, He's got his hand on my bum, and he's basically pushing me along. Because <laughs> he's scared out of his wits too, and he's pushing me along. My feet are barely touching the ground, but we reached the school within a few <laughs> seconds. And, and I like to think that, you know, again, you know, just this experience of being in a situation where I just could not do anything, and then this hand comes along and just gives me this boost, and I'm able to achieve something far more than I would have ever been able to do. You know, there's a tendency for us to think, when we think about uh, the, the Holy Spirit, we think, when did he start working? And there's always this, this talk about the fact that, you know, in Acts 2, when, when there was the big the day of Pentecost, and everyone makes a big deal of that, that's when the, you, you know, there's a real revelation of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? The Spirit has been, and always will be. He was there all along. He was there at the very beginning. He was there in Genesis chapter 2. Even as the, at the dawn of creation, the Spirit of God was present. You know, it says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Sorry. It's not meant to do that. That's what when you try to make it do things. Yes. The Spirit of God was present at the dawn of creation. And in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Hovering over the waters. At the dawn of creation, this incredible act of creation is about to occur. And something spectacular is about to be revealed. And the Spirit is hovering. Then we see the Spirit move through the Old Testament. He comes upon various people. We, we hear accounts of all these amazing prophets of old and people who the Spirit came upon for a particular season, for a particular event, for a particular mission, and they accomplished it. And then the Spirit would leave. 
He's sort of like this shadowy figure that we, we don't really get much of a handle on, but we know he's been there and he's been moving, he's been acting, he's been creating uh, situations that have, that have expanded the kingdom, as it were, at that stage. Well, in Luke 1 and the beginning of Luke, we begin to see something again. We see that the Spirit is beginning to hover again. Because just as this fabulous creation was about to be unveiled in Genesis, something spectacular is about to be unveiled. And it's like in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where they say Aslan is on the move again. The spirit is beginning to hover, and he's beginning to move, and he's beginning to touch and orchestrate, move in people's lives, uh, causing them to come to places, say things, uh, d demonstrate things, and, and, and you begin to see an excitement beginning to build. We see him moving in Elizabeth. We see him moving when Elizabeth begins, says that, that incredible uh, uh, word that she has over Mary when she sees Mary, and she declares the one who is in your womb what he would do, and, and a prophetic word that comes out because she is led by the Holy Spirit. We know that, that Mary herself comes under the anointing and the, and the unction of the Holy Spirit and something incredible occurs within her womb. We know that John the Baptist, as he, is, he, was, he was one of those who actually was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in the womb. We know that Zechariah, his father, declares something about John and, and what he would do and the person that he would be the forebearer to. And then there are these two individuals that we hear about, but particular one, this old faithful guy called Simeon. No one else mentions him. And yet this Simeon was this faithful guy who had faithfully served the Lord and, and, and was waiting, it says, for the consolation of Israel to appear. And all these years he has served the Lord. And then there's this woman, this prophetess called Anna, who's also been waiting. For 80 years she's been a widow, save, serving faithfully in the synagogue. But Simeon had been told... Your eyes won't close in death until you have seen the Savior. And then, on that particular day, Simeon is moved by the Holy Spirit to come into the temple courts, and he comes to the exact spot where Jesus was, had been brought by his, by his parents to be presented at the temple. And you think, out of 1,900 priests who are around, a size of the, that area that was maybe about 16 football fields large. The Spirit guides and directs and brings Simeon to that one spot where he would be able to, with his own hands, hold the Messiah to be. What an incredible thing. I think what, how the Spirit of God moved and how the Spirit of God was, was you get a sense of what the Spirit of God is like. He's not this, this, uh, this impersonal being that is just doing these things, but, but he is concerned and there is, there is a, a sense that, that he, he was moving in Simeon because this is something I want Simeon to experience for all his faithfulness and the, and, and the love he has shown to me and my people. I want him to experience this. As incredible. But 
Again, all these, these events that we are seeing and these people who are being moved and influenced, the Holy Spirit is coming and resting on them, revealing God's mind to them, directing their movement, speaking through them, yet all this is clearly what we have seen in the Old Testament as well, of the Spirit just coming and then leaving, going off people. But what is about to happen is there's a time coming where the Holy Spirit doesn't just come and go, but the Holy Spirit would come and He would indwell people. He would come into the hearts of people and He would never leave. That is what is about to come. And this, this period and this what is about to happen will only will, is reserved for the time when the work of the cross would be complete and the Holy Spirit would come as the promise of the Father to indwell, seal, anoint His saints, and be earnest to them of his promises and the inheritance. Amen. I want to talk about two declarations. There are two passages of immense significance. And one of them is the declaration of John the Baptist about Jesus. It says in Luke 3.16, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. And the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. People were not sure. Is John the Baptist the Messiah? Is he the one who has been predicted to come? And John is categorically telling them, no, the one who is coming after me, I'm not even fit to be a slave to him. He is proclaiming the greatness of Jesus. And he is proclaiming that the one who is coming after is one who will baptize in, in, in the spirit and fire. And only a divine person could baptize with the Holy Spirit. So he's not only talking of the might of Jesus, but he's also talking of his deity. His deity. But John the Baptist would not know everything that would happen. He would not know that, that this baptism of the Spirit that would happen through Jesus would only occur after Jesus has finished and accomplished whatever he was meant to accomplish on the earth and he would go back to, to be at the side of his father, his place of exaltation at the father's right hand. And after he had accomplished all that, that is when the Holy Spirit would then be poured out. But what is fascinating is that Jesus himself, who would be baptizing with the Spirit, would also himself be led by the Spirit. He would be led by the Spirit. There is another declaration. This declaration is like no other. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to do what? to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him and he began by saying to them, Today, 
this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I said it's like a mic drop moment. Mic drop. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> that is an incredible declaration to make. Incredible because what Jesus is basically telling them is that the promised Messiah has arrived and I am he. <laughs> the world is about to be rocked. My apologies. <laughs> about to be rocked by its own creator and the world would never be the same again. Amen. Yes. And, and that, that, that prophecy that he is, he is reading out from Isaiah 61, he stops at a particular point. He stops at a particular point. Because the point after that is what the Jews were expecting. Because after he says all these things about recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and freedom for the prisoners, what it goes on to say is that the day of the vengeance of God then appears. And so that is what they were expecting. So the Messiah would come, he would do these things, he would set us free, he would free us from the oppression of slavery, the oppression of our, our, of, of our Roman persecutors and everything, and, and he would just set us free from all these political issues that we're facing. And, and on top of that, the best part is that he is going to bring his hand of vengeance upon these people, and hallelujah, we can't wait to see that happen. But Jesus doesn't even mention that because the kingdom that Jesus was about to reveal to them was unlike what they thought. It was a kingdom that was filled with mercy and kindness and love and forbearance. This message was life-altering. This message was challenging. So I look around me and I see the issues that we face. Even in Alice Springs, but think about things around the world, but just around us is enough. There are people who need to hear the good news. The poor who need to hear the good news. There are people who are prisoners who need to find freedom. There are people who are blind who need to recover their sight. There are people who are oppressed who need to be set free. That is the mission that Jesus came to accomplish. That is the mission we are meant to accomplish. And when I say we, I mean the church of Christ. This body who is sitting here this body who is within this building right now, you are the church and you have a mission and your mission includes everything that the Messiah came here to do. But are you able to do it? You can't in your strength. You cannot in your strength. But we just have to look to Jesus and see how he was able to accomplish all these things. And that will give us also an inkling of what needs to happen in our lives. So where does it all begin? It all begins with a baptism. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. 
You are my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. The voice from heaven left no doubt. <laughs> this wasn't just another sinner being baptized. This was the sinless, eternal son of God pleasing the father by his identification with sinful man. By coming down and saying, I need to be baptized, he's identifying with sinful man around him. This was the darling of heaven. This was the son of God. This was the king who was at the beginning of, of creation, the very word of God. And he empties himself, we are told in that beautiful passage in Philippians, empties himself of all his authority, everything that he had, everything that he could have clung on to. He releases and relinquishes all of that and comes down to the earth in the form of a man in the form of a man, in the form of his very creation, he comes down and he says, I am willing to empty myself of all of this. I am willing to, uh, to just obey what you want of me, my heavenly Father. And if that means identifying with, with, with the most sinful of people, let me do that. Is it any wonder that the Father would declare you are my beloved son, and I am just so pleased with you. Jesus begins by emptying himself and submitting himself to the will of the Father. In Luke, the Lord is seen as the Son of Man who has come to do the will of God and all that he does is by the Spirit of God. You will see so many repeated, repeated references to this that I do nothing of my own accord, but what I do is what the Spirit of God tells me, what the Spirit leads me, what the Father tells me to do. That is all I do. And you will see repeated episodes where the Spirit is leading a vessel that is filled with God, willing to be led by the Spirit. He empties himself. What about us? What about us? Are we willing to empty ourselves? I want you to think about things in your life that you are willing to relinquish, hold on, that you are willing to give up and say yes for the sake of God and for the sake of the kingdom and so that you may, your will, your perfect will may happen in my life, I am willing to submit. I am willing to give up. I am willing to empty myself of my pride. I am willing to empty myself of the things I cling to. I am willing to empty myself of my ambition and the things I want to achieve. I am willing to allow myself to be just led completely by you. Can you see how much that would please the Father if you would have that kind of an attitude? The next slide, the next thing he says, I see is that he is led by the Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Was he going on this incredible camping trip? A time to relax? I have just emptied myself completely and the Father has said he is pleased with me. Now I'm going to have some time away, some me time to have a great old time away from all the stuff that I've been seeing and I'm just going to enjoy myself. No, the Spirit of God was leading him away into the wilderness to what? 
He was leading him into not a pleasant circumstance. He was leading him into a circumstance that would test him and test him sorely. Often, we are willing to be led. If we are willing to be led, we are willing to be led into green pastures, into places that are pleasant, into places where I have no pain and no suffering and no difficulty. But are you willing to allow the Spirit to lead you where He wants to take you to, to a place where it may not be pleasant and the circumstances may not be exactly what you desire, but it may be stuff that is going to test you, but also going to strengthen you and make you able and capable to do things you never imagined you would be able to can we have that kind of an attitude where we say, Spirit of God, first of all, I will empty myself of everything that is within me and then I'm willing to be led by you and your voice, however unpleasant it may seem. But he does that. Jesus does that. He goes out there and he comes back victorious. Not like the first man who was tempted and fell headlong into disobedience and sin. This was the second Adam who would stand up to the devil with every temptation that was thrown at him. He would refute and he would stand up against every temptation. And he would come back victorious. And when he comes back, it's when he, he comes back, it says he comes back and he returns in the power of the Spirit. And that is when he goes to the synagogue. That is when he goes and opens the scroll and that is when he declares your Messiah that you've been waiting for the Messiah who's been predicted. That's me. That's me. We cannot be any different if we are to do the same. You know, whenever God wants to get a message across to men, He does not just simply send someone to announce it. But He has a, a unique, incredible way of doing it. He dresses that message in flesh and blood, in flesh and blood. Flesh and blood that looks like you and me. May not be very attractive, may not be very uh, capable, but he likes to dress the message in flesh and blood. He takes a life and he aims it in a certain direction. And by the manifestation of his own life through the blood and flesh of a human being, he makes clear what he has to say. So if we, flesh and blood as we are, are willing to be directed by God, allowing the manifestation of Jesus in our lives, that is how God will demonstrate and will show his message to the world around us. That is the strategy of the book of Acts. It is the record of incarnation. Men and women possessed by Jesus Christ, owned by him, and thus manifesting his life. That is the secret of authentic Christianity. 
And anytime you find a Christianity that is not doing that, it is false Christianity. No matter how much it may adopt the garb and language of Christianity, it is not, if it is not the activity of human beings possessed and indwelt by the life of Jesus, it is not authentic Christianity. You know, both Luke and Acts and Acts begin with a birth narrative. The birth of Jesus in Luke, the birth of the, of the church in, in Acts, and they are both heavily infused with the Holy Spirit. Luke 1 and 2 tells the birth of Jesus and, the, and all the things that I described about the Spirit moving there. And Acts 1 and 2 tells us the story of the birth of the, of the church with the first mention of, of the Holy Spirit. And, and what is, how does that first mention occur? Jesus tells them, as he was eating with them, he said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit here is spoken of by the Lord as a gift of the Father. You know, the Father had in his immense, incredible grace and love he had given us his only son. But after that son returned to heaven, having accomplished everything that he was meant to accomplish, that he was given to do, the father, who is still caring for his children incredibly and loving them incredibly, is about to give them another of his richest possible gifts, his own Holy Spirit. The Spirit was the promise of the father, and the disciples were asked to wait for his coming. And then we read in Acts 2, 2 to 4, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That fire... That fire of heaven that had traveled with the Israelites, guiding them in the night, that big pillar of fire that was there that they saw that seemed such an impersonal thing in the sky, that same fire is now come down and in the form of a little flame has now come upon each of them personally, personally. This is the fulfillment of that incredible promise in Joel where he says in the last days, I will pour out my spirit not just on a few, not just on the select, not just on those who, who are the elite. No, I am about to pour out my spirit on every person, young and old, male or female. Every person is about to have the Holy Spirit poured out upon them, which would mean that you are now a chosen generation. You are now a royal priesthood. You are now priests in your own right, having the very Spirit of the living God in you. Amen. And as the Spirit comes upon that, that early church, we see these incredible manifestations of how the Spirit moves in people as Peter begins to preach this incredible word. 3,000 people are, are, are added to the church and then others begin to go out and they are beginning to perform these incredible miracles. We see people who are led by the power of the Spirit going to these weird, out-of-the-way places like Philip going up on that road to meet this Ethiopian eunuch. 
And all these incredible acts that we begin to see happen as they are directed and led by the Spirit. But most importantly, more than all the, the miracles and the, and the stuff that, that they're, they're happening, it is, the, it is the power to proclaim the Word of God in, in might and with power. That is what we are seeing is happening over and over again. Even more than the miracles that are happening is that incredible ability of people who under the influence of the Spirit are able to stand up in front of people, are able to declare the Word of God, and it makes total sense. And it is said with wisdom, and it is said with grace, and it is said with power. That's the things that the Spirit was accomplishing in people's lives. But I also want to bring you to one great passage. The signs and wonders and everything we are talking about was preceded by a devotion to meeting together. Right? The people in the early church were devoted to meeting together. There was a hunger for the things of God and His Spirit. They made it a priority to not only come together, but study the Word of God together, to, be, to remember, to be taught by the apostles all these amazing truths. And they devoted, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I think that is a key that we tend to miss out on. That devotion, that devotion to teaching and to fellowship, that devotion to, to coming together, that devotion to prayer. As you have the church beginning to be filled with a hunger for those things, you will begin to see some incredible things happen. But in Acts 4, 23 to 24, we read about Peter and John who have been told by the temple authorities that what you are, what you are preaching is heresy and you can't teach these things to these people. They had just performed a miracle and they were teaching in the temple and they said, no, no more. You will no longer teach these things. And Peter and John, it says, went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But I want to take you down to Acts 4.31. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So this is after the initial uh, event that we have talked about, the baptism that Jesus has talked about, of the spirit that has occurred on all these people. But they have gone back, and they've come back together again in prayer. 
And as they sat together, hungry for the word and, and in devotion to what, what God had asked them to, and as, as, as they are sitting there praying powerfully, what happens? The Spirit of God again comes, and there's a filling of the Spirit again. And what happens? They speak the word of God again boldly. The secret of the incredibly powerful move of the early church, as I said before, was in their meeting together, not giving up meeting together, and in hunger for the filling of the Spirit. So what I'm trying to say is, this is not a one-time event. If you want to be led by the Spirit, and if you want to see your life powerful in being able to, to uh, preach the Word, talk to people, uh, bring manifestations of what the power of the Spirit of God is able to do. You need to have that refilling experience over and over and over again. You can't be satisfied with one event that occurred in the past and live on the glories of the past. But you need to say, yes, I am hungry for you, God. I am not satisfied with my, with my status quo. I am not satisfied with my comfortable life that I am living. If my life is meant to matter, if I have been placed in Alice Springs, if I have been placed on the face of the earth to bring about change, to bring about, to bring about your, your kingdom rule and extension, then I am no longer going to be satisfied just sitting down comfortable in my little existence, which, which is quite comfortable for me but I'm going to step out of that comfort zone. I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to allow myself to be led by your Spirit into circumstances that may not be comfortable, but I'm going to allow myself to be filled by your Spirit over and over again, and that will give me the ability to, to live a life out of which I can pour myself out over and over again into people's lives. Is that what you want to see happen? Is that what you want to see happen? Because we can no longer afford to just remain the way we are. I can no longer afford to remain the way I am. But if we are going to change things, if things need to change, then we need to change. The church needs to change. We need to understand where we are at and what we need to do. Jesus understood it. He was the Son of God. And he understood it. In Luke 21, 37 to 38, it says, Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple. And each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. In Mark, there is that passage where it says that he was at this house and all the people in the village brought their sick and the infirm and those possessed by evil spirits and, and he healed all of them. Into the late night, he sits and heals all of them. And then what it says in the very next verse, it says that early the next morning he went out to pray. We can give of ourselves because we feel that that is where God has called us to be, to be people who are willing to give of ourselves 
But as you keep giving, if you are not refilled, you will empty yourself out. I was sharing that in, over the past few weeks, I was, yes, I was telling my wife yesterday that I feel quite empty. I've been working a lot, sure. I've been faced with a number of issues at work with, with the various kinds of, of, uh, of human behavior that, that is challenging. And it, it never wore me down in the past. But over the past few weeks, I feel worn down. And I don't feel like I have the capacity. People are coming and wanting to tell me things, and I'm just listening. But I'm thinking, I really don't want to hear this. Honestly, I would rather be anywhere else than listening to what you're telling me right now. But I have my eyes open, and I'm nodding my head. Yeah. But do you know that feeling? But that, and I feel the reason for that is I haven't. I haven't been allowing myself to be refilled. And so this message that I'm talking to you about today is, is essentially directed at me. Directed at me. That's what I need to change. But I want to end by telling you about this incredible guy called Stephen. Stephen. So, there was an issue that arose in the early church where some of the widows of a particular set of Jews said that oh, our, our widows are being, uh, they're, they're, they're not being looked after. They're being discriminated against. They're not getting their food on time and, and, and they're being sort of ignored. And it became such a divisive issue there that it, uh, potential, with the potential to, to break the church, that was how divisive that issue was. And so the, but the apostles said, look, we cannot take time out from teaching and preaching to start waiting on tables. So let's do one thing. Let us choose people who, can, who will be able to do that. And they chose people who were full of the Spirit. To do what? To wait on tables. People who were full of the Spirit to wait on tables. But was that all they did? Because what it says about Stephen, as I can imagine, he did an incredible job waiting on those tables and looking after the widows and everything that had to happen. But it says he was a man full of God's grace and power, and he performed great wonders and signs among the people. Wherever you are, whatever your position, whatever your area of work, whatever you have been tasked with doing, if you do that full of the Spirit, if you are willing to step out in the power of the Spirit, not only will you do what you are meant to do excellently well, but you will also see the power of God coming out of you and doing even more incredible things than you possibly thought or imagined. If you have the Spirit of God moving in you, can you imagine going into places of work or your school or wherever you are and you can sp speak to someone and the Spirit tells you something about that person and, and you're able to give them a word. You're able to just pray for them. 
someone who is ill, someone who is struggling mentally with something that they are dealing with and, and you are able to just go and lay a hand on them and just pray. And they receive healing, they receive deliverance. That is what the Spirit of God can do in and through you. You don't have to be a person who goes out and become the next Reinhard Bonke. You don't have to be the next great evangelist who goes out and has a three million people at, a, at an evangelistic meeting. But you can be the one who goes out into your place of work full of the Spirit and able to bring change into your place of work because you carry the presence of the Spirit of God who gives you wisdom, who gives you power of speech, who gives you the ability to bring healing into situations in people's lives. Shall we stand in the presence of God? Let us not give up meeting together. This evening, we have our encounter night, which is once a month. An evening when you can come together and just pray and worship God. An evening where we can come together collectively as a church and say, we are hungry for the Spirit. We are hungry for your move, O God. And we want your Spirit to be poured out on us this evening as we gather together because we want to see a power that infuses our being that allows us to step out of the walls of this church and become everything you want this church to be a powerful, vibrant, dynamic force that cannot be stopped by anything because you are led by the power of the Spirit of God will you come will you come and will you pray together Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, with every head bowed here, Lord, you see every heart. And I'm asking if there's anyone in this auditorium today who maybe has never made a decision to become a child of God, who has never said, I'm tired of the life I live. I'm tired of the way I've been going. I'm tired of running away from you, God, and it is time for me to come back home. It is time for me to understand what it means to be a child of God. To come into a relationship with the God of heaven and earth. Who has created that space and ability by sending his only son, his beloved son Jesus, to die on the cross for you and me. You know, if there's anyone in this auditorium today, and you have never made that decision, you never said yes to Jesus, and you want to. You can sense that there's something moving in your heart right now. There is a stirring in your spirit. There is, there is something that is, that is not letting you, that is disturbing you, that says, today is the day. Maybe now is the time to come back into relationship, to come back into that place of abundance and forgiveness. If there's anyone in the auditorium today if you would just all I ask you to do is just lift your hand and look at me and I will know who I can pray for is there anyone in the auditorium today I'm looking from my left and across to my right if there's anyone yes I see you my brother bless you is there anyone else yes I see you, my sister at the back there bless you bless you Hallelujah. I see you, my sister, right at the back there to the right. Yes. Bless you. 
I don't want to hurry this moment because it is a pivotal, incredibly important moment in your life. Will you say yes to the move of God? Will you say yes to a relationship with the God of the universe? Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for my brother and my sisters. I want to pray for the decision they are making right now in their hearts. That, Father, the decision they make is yes to you and no to the things of the past, no to a life they have lived, and yes to this incredible life on offer right now that comes through the blood of, the, of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary. Father, I just pray that you will move in their hearts to understand the, the incredible importance of this decision they have made and we rejoice because we know in heaven there is rejoicing father over these hands that have lifted their hands to you lord and their hearts to you father in heaven i also want to pray for my brothers and sisters here lord that father including myself that we will not be satisfied father we will not be satisfied with where we are at but recognize that there is so much more so much more that is available so much more that we can accomplish in the power of the Spirit. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will move in our hearts to create a hunger, a hunger for you, a hunger for the things of the Spirit, a hunger for the Word of God, a hunger for holiness, a hunger for, for the kingdom, for the kingdom values, Father. And that there will be a hunger in our hearts to meet together, to meet together and to pray together and to seek your face together that together we may be the body of Christ that you want us to be. So, Father, I just bless my brothers and sisters in your name and I commit them into your hands and I pray that, Holy Spirit, you will not allow them you to, to rest and be comfortable, but disturb their hearts with the word you have for them today. Disturb everyone's heart with the word we have heard today, that we will not be the same as we have been. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.